Um, brilliant. Alice is going to come and speak to us now. And this is a kind of message for us for the new year. Um, if you work with us right at the start, we're, we want to take this, take this first week of January to, uh, to ask God. Uh, I want to, uh, that's my question for this first week. Is God, what does it look like for us these next couple of months whilst we're hanging on, holding on for this vaccine so that we can be together again in person? What, is, what does church look like uh, for us? over these next couple of months. We loved getting together with people in person uh, on the 20th of December when we could do that in small groups here. So I'd love to hear from you if you have a sense of what God's saying to us as a church family. Alex, over to you. Sorry to ask this live, but would you ask... Joel, would you mind if I asked you a couple of questions? Sorry, I'm sorry, I wanted to be able to ask you without... You, you're very welcome not to... Um, so while Joel's getting into position, um, in about t- 2008, Happy New Year, everyone. So good to be connecting. Um, yeah, and doing this journey together. Uh, yeah, in about 2008, Chris and I went to, to watch a film. We went to watch a film that we thought was a political thriller set in Afghanistan, like a war kind of politics thing, which we really like politics um and it was called iron man (laughs) and it it was going quite well and then about 15 or 20 minutes in when he the guy the main guy robert junior danny junior not one of spoiler i'm i'm really bad at spoilers gets into a suit and basically bursts into the stratosphere and is some sort of i never know if they're superheroes or not but someone with very good skills and can make good gadgets or don't want to (laughs) <laughs> make mistakes on that one. Anyway, that, uh, we were like, oh, this is so unrealistic. I mean, you know, this doesn't happen. Anyway, it took us a few minutes, months, years to realise there's a whole, apparently, Marvel multiverse out there, which we had no idea about, completely ignorant, to the extent that last year we were hosting a Youth Alpha in our home. Who knew? 20, end of 2018, and, and all the young people were talking about the different kind of store the different movies in this multiverse and I still had very little idea of what they were talking about and then Covid hit and Disney Plus did a great deal and our children are kind of the right age and essentially now go forward one year I feel like Iron Man's a trigger word for a whole massive narrative world which I have some grasp of and our, our Mantis sister bubbles with us over Christmas, which was the best thing ever, and it was so special. And she was baptised into Infinity War one day and then Endgame the next. And that was like, here, have the Marvel multiverse right there. For, for those of you who, like me, in 2008 thought Iron Man was a political thriller, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But for those of you who have watched any of them, I'm triggering a massive narrative world for you and I'm just saying two or three words and you 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 understand we're talking about a whole imagination that it covers like at least a decade of movie making obviously a history of comic strips and then there'll be there's a whole future coming up apparently at this point I'm gonna just ask Joel Joel's here brilliant can we can we see Joel let's go away now we did some in our carol service, we wrote some gratitude for 2020 and some hopes for 2021. And so I asked Joel what he'd written on the, on the wall outside Hope with Chalk for his 2021 
Pope, can you remember what you wrote, what you said to me, or what you wrote on the wall, Joel? Uh, I did the COVID vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. So you were grateful for those, weren't you, in 2020? And then you wrote of what you're hoping and looking forward to in 2021. Can you remember what you wrote? The Mandalorian. Yeah. Do you know, as a result, we finished watching as a result of your hope. We watched the end of the series. When I say we, Chris particularly was keen with Benjamin Freddy. And got right to the end because you told us to walk really right to the end. There's a little thing saying, this is coming, December 2021. And we felt like that, that gave us hope as well for 2021. So thank you for that, Joel. So when I say in a ooh, galaxy far, far, long, long ago. <laughs> far you away. Really well. What do you think? What do those few little words make me think of? Uh, Star Wars. Yeah, and what does those, that phrase, Star Wars, make me think of? Uh, fun. Fun? Brilliant. Exciting. Yeah. Any people come to mind? Um, Luke Skywalker. Yeah, yeah. Possibly even maybe his, well, bit on his childhood, his young adulthood, maybe going into old age. Oh, we're a bit quiet on Joel's answers. Sorry, Joel, do you need to repeat Joel's answers? Someone so, said. Joel has... Joel, thank you. Should we give you a clap? Yeah. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, Joel. Is it possible to have a table? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Joel was saying, what is it, a galaxy far, far away or long, long ago? Yeah. Anyways, one of those phrases, and I said, Joel, if you we'll hear, also the, repeat what you're thankful for, you hear those words, um, what do you think? And he immediately said, Star Wars. And I said, when you hear those two words together, Star Wars, what, what do you imagine? He said, fun, excitement, Luke Skywalker. And he had different characters immediately coming to mind without me saying anything but a few words. So he was thankful for the COVID vaccine in 2020. And he was also thankful for family. But his gratitude that he, um, sorry, his hopes that he wrote with chalk on the wall outside Hope during the carol service was that at the end of this current series of Mandalorian, there is a little thing saying what's to come. Now, for some of you, you're like, I literally haven't, how do you even spell Mandalorian? I have no idea what you're talking about. But for other people, that again opens up a massive narrative world of an imaginative spin-off of the whole Star Wars thing, which started as, I thought it was just like three when I was growing up, but apparently they were in the middle of a prequel, then a sequel, and then spin-offs. And again, like the multiverse of Marvel, there's a whole imaginative narrative world that you can enter into at any point and you say little names like Jabba the Hutt and that will mean a massive thing to people who are immersed in that world and for other people it won't mean a thing. It's, this is a really helpful way of understanding the Hebrew Bible for first century Jews in Judea and across the, the Jewish diaspora in the Roman world. They were immersed in the imaginative narrative world of the Hebrew Bible. That was the way they read everything. You hear one word tree, they think tree of life, they think Eden, or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, taking 
their own wisdom into their own hands and going down a path of death and destruction. You'd hear waters, chaos waters, and you think day three of the Genesis narrative of creation, the parting of the chaos waters, the emerging of dry land where humans flourish. So one word, fruit, tree, waters, these all would trigger massive narrative stories going all the way through the Hebrew Bible. And the thing that Joel particularly um, kind of highlighted was it wasn't just it's an imaginative narrative world that he knew about, but he had an anticipation of something that was going to come in December 2021, and that's what he was looking forward to. And so you get to first century Judaism, Second Temple Judaism, right there, where the person of Jesus was and his friends and family. And they not only had an immersive narrative world of the Hebrew Bible, but in it, it points to this person coming, this Mashiach, this Messiah, this anointed one, who would fulfill the true human that all the characters in this narrative world had failed. And so they not only had an immersive narrative world which helped them read the world and would be little words that would trigger links all the way across in their conversations and going to synagogue in their readings, their community readings, but they also had this incredible anticipation and hope that someone would come and restore all things to the Eden design that that begins that, that narrative world right back in Genesis 1 and 2. So what we're going to do now is look at a couple of passages from the Hebrew Bible. Remember, try sort of looking at it in that way. We're entering into a world that that was so immersed that all the New Testament writers write with that immersion. And we understand it a bit without knowing that, but we don't really understand it until we really understand the immersion out of which they wrote. And it's a bit like me having no idea, I'd literally never heard of the word Iron Man, but actually in a a year of kind of immersion into the Marvel multiverse, I have a, a, a stronger handle, shall we say, on the different characters and narratives and subplots and spin-offs. It, so it is not difficult. God wants to connect with us. He does not put hurdles. He removes hurdles and obstacles. He wants relationship. But let's say yes to entering into this way of reading the world. Let's say yes to understanding that all the New Testament writers were Jewish, apart from Luke, who wrote Luke Acts, so we would have been immersed in it from childhood. And Luke is highly likely to be a God-fearing gentle who would have had a journey of being immersed in Hebrew scripture as well, because the way he writes in Luke and Acts about Judaism. So... We are going to go to possibly one of the hardest um, books in the Hebrew Bible and show actually how it's not that difficult at all. It connects with everything else. It's Leviticus 25, third book in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. And right in the middle of it, there's this extraordinary passage about a year, a special Sabbath year. which we mentioned at the beginning, we mentioned at the beginning of COVID, actually, I've done a talk on this right at the beginning of lockdown. And so this isn't something that's just come to mind as a nice new year message. We've actually been sitting on this and it's been bubbling away throughout the months. And we wanted to bring it now because it feels like whilst, yes, we still have incredible challenges around COVID, perhaps the greater challenges will be the financial potential crisis 
that is the, the fallout from the pandemic. However, for those of you who don't have much concern about the finance, financial side, but do have concerns about the health side, please uh, track with me because this is basically dealing with both those fears. The fear of health, lo uh, loss of health, either for ourselves or those we love, or the fear for financial challenge or, or even ruin, again, for ourselves or someone we love. These are very, very reasonable fears. These get to the heart of what it is to be human. We have, we, we want to be alive and that requires health. That is extremely challenging and we want those in we're in relationship with to stay alive and stay well. Health is, is such a key part to what it is to be human. To lose health is an extremely challenging situation to be in for us and for those we love. And also finances, similarly, to have a roof over our head. We, uh, Kate was here earlier talking about the, the night shelter and how we're steward, stewarding that this year. But having a roof over our head, clothes on our body, food to eat, these are immensely basic factors of being human and without them it's extremely challenging, extremely challenging to inhabit our full humanity, um, health and finances. We're going to drill a bit on finances but for those of you where health is still that, that place of anxiety we're going to address that too and by the end of this hopefully deal with these anxieties and come into the, the as I said, the reality of the Hebrew Bible's reading of the world and the reality of Jesus's interpretation and fulfillment of those promises it's not it's not imaginative in that way it is actually real it's real it's how the world actually exists we're deeply loved by God and he provides for us in every way so Leviticus 25 talks about this special year every seventh year where the land is to sabbath or rest to Yahweh the Lord because he owns the land and it's a reminder that we may steward the land or the, the people of Israel may steward the land, but it's God that actually owns the land. And every seventh year is to be set aside and they are not to sow, plough, plough, sow or harvest the land. I'm slightly laughing because I cannot imagine how terrifying that must be if you're in an agricultural community two and a half thousand years ago in the realm of, of, of Judea in, in Israel. Everything depends on you having a good crop, which means you have to plough the land, you have to sow it, you have to watch it and you harvest. That's how you eat, that's how you survive. And, and right in the heart of these, these words of instruction, this Torah that, that God gives this newly formed nation of Israel, right in the heart of them are a number of sevens, and one of which is every seven years, don't do that. Rest the land to Yahweh absolutely mind-blowing, going to right to the heart of these fears of provision, of health, of well-being. So I'm going to read out a few verses from Leviticus 25. Look, the Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you. 
for yourself, your male and female servants and the hired worker and temporary resident who live among you, as well as for your livestock and the wild animals in your land, whatever the land produces may be eaten. Count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amounts to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. Sound the trumpet throughout the land. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty, freedom throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you return to your own family property, your own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow, do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the untended vines. For it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. In this year of jubilee, everyone is to return to their own property. The the land was assigned to the 12, uh, 12 tribes of Israel in a complex way because... One tribe was split, Joseph to Ephraim and Manasseh, and Levites actually were given, they were priests, weren't given their own land. But there were 12 assigned allotments. They were pretty even. And this year, Jubilee was given realignment, so everyone had their tribal assignment. Slaves were released, usually debt slaves, because they had to sell themselves because they were so poor. They would be released. And, and freedom was to come back to the land in this beautiful Sabbath of Sabbaths, 50th year. So, of course, the question would be, that's, that's all very well, but that is terrifying. If that's how you live, if that's where your income comes from, how can you not sow and harvest? Where is it all going to come from? They had a history of God providing manna, what is it, bread, in the desert. That was in their narrative, that was in their story. But still, to sit in an agricultural community and just watch the seasons go by, eat what comes out of the land naturally, is an incredible invitation to an orphaned human condition. It's essentially saying there is a bigger story out there and it involves the creator, God, who deeply loves you and provides for you. He is the source of provision, not even your own effort and industry on the land. It is a mind-blowing invitation to faith. And there's this beautiful section in, in further on in the chapter where essentially the writer addresses the questions that would naturally arise from people. Follow my decrees, so this is verse 18, follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws and you will live safely in the land. Then the land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and live there in safety. You may ask, what will we eat in the seventh year if we do not plant or harvest our crops? I will send you this beautiful promise, this preemptive strike of provision, if you like. I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. While you plant during the eighth year, you will eat from the old crop and will continue to eat from it until the harvest of the ninth year comes in. Just exceptional capacity to override what we think is a natural economic trajectory exceptional preemptive strike of provision to the people of Israel. He wants to rest the land and he will make a way of abundance so that the people can all flourish and thrive, but the land itself can be rested. He can do both. So you have this extraordinary setup in the Hebrew Bible. Every seventh year, this agricultural community was supposed to abstain from the very 
thing, the very process, the very seasonal activity that sourced their community life, their health, their well-being, their finances, everything about them. They never actually fulfilled that seven-year Sabbath. For every year they were in under the monarchy, 490 years, they failed to rest the land every seventh year. So the wealthy were actually put in exile in Babylon for 70 years. The poor, which was the majority, because there was gross injustice and they were oppressed, were allowed to remain in the land while the wealthy three classes went to exile in Babylon and the land had its rest for 70 years. Yahweh will have his way. He will have his way. He will rest his land and provide an abundance. And he will have his way with levelling the playing field. So the poor are allowed to rest in the land. You have this immersion. This is their story. This is what they know is real when you get to the first century. And this man called Yeshua, Joshua. The word Jesus, I think, is really unhelpful. It's a Greek understanding of the word Yeshua or Joshua, but it's become so religious we forget. It was a man who grew up in this culture with, the, with a name like Joshua that actually means God saves, salvation, restoration. And he was, he was growing in, in kind of popularity. People were beginning to think there's something about this man. People were following him. People were intrigued by him. And he goes back to the hometown, Nazareth, Nazareth, where he grew up. And he is invited, if there's only a few hundred people, everyone would have known who he was, where he came from, his slightly dubious family situation. And they were absolutely gripped by him. And they ask him to speak in the synagogue on the, on the Shabbat, as, as, as they would. And he opens the scroll of Isaiah, and he, which is referencing the Leviticus passage we've just talked about and he makes an extraordinary declaration unrolling the scroll of Isaiah he found the place where it is written this is Luke 4 this is Jesus's mandate according to the writer Luke the spirit of the Lord is on me so it's a direct quote from this this Hebrew bible scroll called Isaiah because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. They knew he was talking about the year of Jubilee. They knew he was talking about that year of favour where everything was resolved, all oppression lifted, equality was restored, slavery was released. They knew it and they were gripped by it, absolutely drawn to him. When he then challenged their personal response to it, within a few sentences, you see, they want to kill him. Because we love the idea of the kingdom of God, but we find it deeply challenging the process we have to go through of humility to enter in. Similarly, uh, there is the most extraordinary mandate of how to live this new humanity, how to fulfil this messianic kingdom, how to, that, that silhouette that was formed in the Hebrew Bible, that anticipation of a new way to be human that was to come, that Jesus himself fulfils, then invites us all into. He gives this, this, this extraordinary way to do it in what's become known as the Sermon on the Mount, the beginning of Matthew, 
another writer of the gospel. If you do nothing else for the rest of your life, but sit in, meditate on and live out Matthew 5 to 7, you will inhabit a new humanity. Everything else is a commentary on that. It's absolutely phenomenal. And one of my, our favourite verses or sentences in that that we live by is Matthew 6, verse 33. But I'm going to give you a bit of context for that. He talks about how we practice our righteousness, doing it in public, blowing trumpets, giving so that other people will honour us, fasting, praying. He said, that's hypocritical. That is all about performance. Hippocrates was literally a play actor in, the, in Greek. As you're on the stage, you're performing, but your hearts aren't really changed or loving towards those you're serving. But he, he says, if you actually do these things, pray and fast, you can give it, do it in secret, but God will see you and he will reward you because your heart's in the right place. It comes to the end, and this is the thing we want to drill into today at Uproot, that we might have facing a new year, anxiety or fear. And he says, and I think this is a command, it's not an optional extra. For people who claim to follow Jesus, it actually dishonours him to violate this command because they're essentially believing the lie where it's still orphaned. But the reality is we're deeply loved, deeply provided for. Remember by a God who will give abundance in the sixth year so that the seventh, eighth will carry you through to the ninth in order to rest the land. This is the God, the, the, the creator we are thinking about and and remembering this is the one that in day three of the genesis narrative parts the chaos waters and gives dry land for human flourishing this is the one in the exodus narrative that parted the waters and enabled the humans to walk through into a new exodus a new freedom in the exodus narrative this is who we're talking about this is the reality of someone who can make a way where there is no way so when he says don't worry We need to understand he's talking about we're deeply loved. He's our heavenly father. He looks after us. We are not orphaned anymore. We don't have to fight in self-protection anymore. Try and make it work according to our own limited human understanding anymore. Assume there's going to be an economic crisis anymore. We don't need to think like that anymore. We need to be transformed by the renewal of our mind that we are loved and provided for. There is a preemptive strike of redemption. You can see it all the way through. The moment the humans choose their own way is the moment he promises that someone will come and will crush that ungodly way and deal with it forever. Right there in the garden, Genesis 3, he is there. He knows how to provide. He knows how to restore. He knows how to redeem. And I think he's calling us up as those who claim to follow Jesus to stop worrying and start trusting. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labour or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon, remember that hyperlink, the connection, that trigger, golden age of Israel, the wealthiest, wisest king, the one that they're wanting someone to fulfil and bring in a new golden age. Solomon, in all his glory, is not dressed like one of the birds of the field, the lilies of the valley. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow will be thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For those who don't know God and don't know they're loved, 
run after all these things, but your heavenly Father, your deeply provided for, knows that you need them. This is what we're designed to do, and this is the verse that, that Chris and I live on. But seek first his kingdom, the messianic kingdom, the good news that an inauguration of a whole new way to be human has come. For us, it's come 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus while he was speaking. It was coming then through him and his righteousness, his way of feeding off the tree of life and trusting in God. And all these things, food, clothes, money, will be given to you as well. Don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He was, it is outrageous what he was doing. He was saying this to an oppressed group of people under the Roman Empire. He was saying this to people who didn't have options. Couldn't, weren't the wealthy and elite in Rome who could sit around hoping that, you know, of course they're going to inherit uh, this and that and the other and it'll be fine. He was saying this to people whose lives were hand to mouth, who were really struggling. They were dependent on harvest and the good, the good feelings of their Roman oppressors. But yet, even in this context, we have a COVID cloud, they had a Roman cloud. He, could, he injected words that enabled them to thrive. They absolutely could thrive. And how do I know this? Well, then Luke picks this up again. And this is the vision we're going to leave with today. Beautiful vision. Luke 2. Followers of Jesus now birthed in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's laid out these mandates in Luke 4 that Jubilee has come, that year of release has come. And in Matthew 6 that we can seek first his rule, his way of life, and everything, abundance comes to us, all provision. And then Luke carries on his, his narrative account of the, of the first followers of Jesus in the early church in Acts part two. And if you, we look at the end of Acts two, we have this incredible demonstration where health issues and financial issues are both fully resolved in this new community of faith, this new community of people who follow Jesus. Right at the end of Acts 2, beautiful passage. Some of you will, will know this well, but for those of you who haven't heard this before, this is just, if you like, a taster of what it is to be a community of people who follow Jesus. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, friendship, partnership in the gospel, to, ev- to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved healed, restored. So let's come into land now with these two potential areas of anxiety, health and finances, particularly drilling in on finances, but for those of you where health is is more problematic, let's do both because Acts 2 deals with both. They had no neediness among them. Everyone was fully and amply supplied for in this new way to be human, in this new community of followers of Jesus. I think we make too much of a distinction between the natural and supernatural. Whenever I think of things like salmon um, moving, swimming upstream, or I think of birds migrating, particularly how birds fly and their bone density, because it happens so regularly, we call it natural. But look at it, it's extraordinary. 
It's, 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 to me, it's supernatural. It's amazing. Just because it happens with regularity doesn't take the wow factor away from it. And then we define supernatural as something above and beyond those extraordinary natural laws of nature. And you see this integration of natural, supernatural in this Acts 2 community. Supernatural healings where nothing more can be done humanly, but God just intervenes and realigns bodies, minds, souls and spirits. And then natural healing as relationships are restored, as peace comes to the body, so it's not having to battle with stress, which we now know causes physiological damage. Peace, joy, healing. It's natural, but it's supernatural. Humans become whole in these restored communities, restored to God and restored to each other. And then provision, supernatural provision. God just provides. But actually, if you dig deep, it looks a lot like that looks natural. They all knew who had need, and they actively went out, intentionally sold possessions and property. Knew they had a bit, they had more than they needed. But while their brother and sister didn't have enough, maybe didn't have enough food, they could sell their possession and then have enough for themselves and give to the person next to them. Building right on Luke's teaching, Luke's account of Jesus's teaching in the gospel: sell your possessions and give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Totally supernatural. Because that, the main reason we don't do that, even though it makes so much sense to a child, is we're terrified. We're scared we won't have enough if we don't have that extra bit. And we're also scared that someone else will take advantage of us and become entitled. That fear is delivered supernaturally, but we just trust God. We become childlike again. That person hasn't got food, and I've got an extra thing in my house that I don't really need. I can sell that and give to that person. It's t- for children, it's, it's a no-brainer. So it's supernatural, but it's also natural. And that's what I want to dig into now. We're going to do two things in prayer. The first thing we're going to do is lay down any fears or anxieties we have. Mainly about financial crisis or work or um, maybe to do with housing or provision or someone we know and love who's struggling financially. We're going to lay down fear and anxiety. Remember the God that wants to give on the sixth year so that people and the land can rest on the seventh. Remember the abundance. Remember that a tree can't exist without his life within it. He holds us all together anyway. He's the one who infuses life into anyone. Remember and get our mindset renewed in alignment with the reality that the whole thing is sustained by his word. Without him, none of us would be in existence. And that God can take our worry and anxiety. And the second one about health and well-being, particularly during this time when there's such an attack on our our physicality and, and how we connect with each other and our mental health as well. So, God, we give you our anxiety. And we're gonna just, just sit here for like 10, 20 seconds of silence. Close your eyes if that helps, open them or consider something. However you can connect with the thing that's bubbling up that you know is you're not in agreement with reality that God is good and loving and able to provide. On that area, you're not seen clearly. So let's hold it up before him. We're going to have about 20 seconds of silence. We'll give it to him and then I'll, I'll pray and then we'll do the next step. Lord, thank you. There's a beautiful verse in Peter. 
the one who followed you, who got it right, who got it wrong, but you raised up and exalted to one of the heroes of faith by the power of the Spirit. And he says, cast your cares upon Jesus because he cares for you. We can cast our cares on you because you deeply care for us. May we honour your name this year by being people who trust you, who trust that you're good and you're able and you're above and you can provide. And you do provide. You've already provided for us. You've already made a way. And then the final action is the walking in the opposite spirit. I'm going to particularly deal with finances now, but there may be some health replacements that God can tell you to do to walk out of a fear or anxiety around poor physical or mental health. But the finances... I love that Jackie Pullinger, working with some of the most um, challenging situations in Hong Kong, she says, even if you have a pound, you can do something with it. You can be generous, you can share it, you give it. So we break entitlement that says, I need, I don't have enough, and we replace it with the truth. We're all deeply loved by God, and he meets our needs. And every single one of us can ask for a way now that we can share our resources and it could be, it is a creative as we are made in the image of a creator God. There is a note, we're all here in a multitude of ways. I'm just wearing um, a top I was given for Christmas by Chris, made by Sam Mabley's company. Hi Sam, if you're there, if you're listening. Um, which, which has got incredible provenance and, in, and incredible, and it's amazing to wear. Really recommend it. So he started up a whole business based on just bringing realignment in in business and industry. Incredible. And then we heard Kate talk earlier about being able to make cakes in the spring term. Sorry, starting this week every for every Saturday, for every Sunday, that Hope's serving at the night shelter in the B&B. It, it could be a range of things, walking and talking with someone that doesn't have anyone in their life to talk to, giving someone a ring. It doesn't matter what it is. The, the point is now we're going to listen What is the intentional action of us sharing the abundance we have with someone who doesn't have as much? I had a dream the other night, and it was really simple. just felt God say to me, it's more blessed to give than receive. What What a great way to live. It's just more blessed to give than receive. When we try and receive in life, we end up disappointed, bitter, judgment judgmental but when we enter into a mindset that we're made in the image of God he gives and we can be givers we come into blessing I know that because I've that is my biggest conversion is someone who wanted to receive to understanding that it's a much more happy and blessed way of life to seek to give so we're going to ask the spirit now to show us one particularly practical way we can Bless someone else, show jubilee, show release, show there's a new way to be human in in the next days, weeks ahead. God, I thank you that you say those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And we ask that you release now words from heaven, maybe a person or a action we can take or something we can do that, that your Spirit is saying, this is a way we can be that Acts 2 community where there are no needs among them. Bring someone to mind. Bring a situation to mind. Bring something in our home to mind that we can share. This is about being family. It's about everyone having abundance. And that that is the most glorifying way a community can operate.
shows the abundance of our Heavenly Father. And so I'm going to sit now again, 20 seconds of silence. You just hear, it's probably, he's probably already spoken to you. But if you need a little bit more time, I'm going to have 20 seconds to hear the practical thing he's going to ask us to do to inhabit this new jubilee humanity community and break anxiety um, over a financial trajectory and come into the reality that he's already made for our abundant financial provision. We'll finish there and end with just that conviction that we, we get to live a life, as Paul says, that has no regrets. We get to enter into an, an abundant and generous and blessed way of life. Not because of anything we've done, but because as part of our origins, That's how God designed humanity, and 2,000 years ago, he fully restored the human condition, and we just get to, to walk in the inheritance of that. Bless you, bless you this year. May you be more peaceful, more joyful, more hopeful, and more faithful than you've ever known. Thanks, Alice. What a great way to start the year. So we'll finish there. Catch you next time.